test, test, test. Test, test, test. Today on Ag News Daily. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here coming to you a little earlier today. Delaney is on the road and I will be booked up this afternoon. So we are cutting a little bit early. That means the market report we get will be markets as of about 10 o'clock in the morning on Thursday. Well, we're going to have a fun conversation a little bit later on. Our field reporter, Bruce Gorder, had a conversation with Ron Lamberti, who is the uh, VP of ethanol there at uh, at ACE, and he's going to talk about what's going on with E15. What can we expect as we look to the future, both in the United States and in Mexico? So you're going to want to stay tuned. We're always looking for something upbeat in the markets, or at least in the in the commodity business. Well... Okay, this is an upbeat. This is the, the screwy news of the day. Uh, Berkeley, California announced Monday that they are changing the way they serve food at city events on Monday. Yeah. What Berkeley has decided, the city council passed a resolution saying that vegan food will be required to be served at city events and meetings once a week. The idea isn't that vegan food will be served along with meat. No, the idea is it will only be vegan food. So I guess if you're going to be meeting with folks in Berkeley at the city council there, don't go on a Monday. Oh, gosh, the uh, Kate Harrison, one of the city council members, the one who introduced this bill, said, quote, I'm not asking people to give up meat. I'm asking us all to think about what it is that we do every day and how we can reduce our meat consumption. She authored the resolution. Basically, this is also going to come with a public campaign to inform businesses and residents of the, quote, environmental impacts of meat production. She went on to say that almost a third of our climate change problem comes from animal husbandry and the meat produced by animals and the pollution produced. That is not true. That is a a one study that has been discredited repeatedly. It is not a factual assertion, and that is something that these anti-meat activists have seized on quite a bit. CO2 is predominantly put out there by energy, which means fuel for driving vehicles, and it means, you know, electricity production. That's where this comes from. It isn't meat production. Uh, this campaign is going to come in conjunction with Green Monday, a group that encourages plant-based food choices, blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, you know, as long as people are eating, they're supporting farmers. You know, that's, that's the truth. These guys are going to be supporting more, I suppose, soy and uh, specialty crop producers to get that protein. But uh, I just hate the way they're bad-mouthing animal agriculture using false science. Folks, we got to be aggressive. I don't know how we reach people like Kate Harrison. I don't know if we can bring her out to a farm and have her talk to somebody who studies this stuff. I don't know, but it's frustrating. That's the screwy news of the day. Avoid Berkeley, California, if you enjoy the tasty flesh of delicious critters. I got a little bit of news here out of the EU. This is good news, actually. We're actually seeing the European Union hold up their deal to buy more soy from the United States. We talked about this. When China put tariffs on, we said global demand is going to stay fairly constant, at least for this year. And that's what's happening. Brazilian soy, which used to go some to China, some to the EU, is now all going to China. They're capturing that premium that's been introduced with these tariffs. What that means is the United States is now the largest supplier of soybeans into the European Union. In fact, as of Thursday, 
from EU data, we are supplying 52% of the beans that go into that country. That's up 133% from this time last year, and it, it's good news. You know, I, I think we all wish they were buying them at, at prices higher than, you know, 830 But, hey, we're moving beans. That's what we like to see. So progress being made there as we look out to, uh, you know, what's going on there in the European Union. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode today, given the fact that uh, I'm going to have to get on the road here, and uh, we will have that conversation with Bruce. But I want to turn to our friends north of the border real quick, Canadian livestock producers. Of course, a lot of our Canadian listeners know there have been extreme weather conditions, and uh, that has caused uh, you know some feed shortfalls in several provinces, British Columbia, Alberta, Alberta. Saskatchewan, which apparently is how they say it. It's not Saskatchewan, it's Saskatchewan. Uh, Manitoba and Quebec, basically Quebec. Basically everything but, you know, the Yukon and Prince Edward Island and Newfoundland has seen feed, sir, feed, you know, shortages, I should say. And uh, the Canadian government has recognized that. They have introduced, I suppose, past is what it is, a livestock tax deferral. Basically what they're saying is that if you're growing livestock, you can take 25% of this year's profits, or this year's proceeds, rather, and roll it to 2019. The idea being, when you go to rebuild your herd next year, this only is true for breeding stock. It does not work for market animals. But the idea being, when you go out in the spring and rebuild your herd, that's going to offset this carried-over income. So take advantage of that. Check. It only works if you're in a designated uh, drought flood or excess moisture reason or region rather so check government resources find out if you're covered and if you are be sure to take advantage of this if you plan on rebuilding your herd uh you know hey anytime the government's giving us money yeah shoot folks let's take it that's what it's all about that's how we stay in business now i do want to make sure that we touch on what is happening in the world of markets so let's see where we are remember folks our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Today's a little weird. We're not talking markets at the end of the day. When the markets close, if you want professional opinion and insight as to what you can do to improve your bottom line or at least manage your marketing risk, give our friends at Zaner a call. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, midday, we've got green in both corn and soybeans. The D's corn contract up four and a half cents at 350 and a quarter. The March up four and a quarter. Finish, uh, excuse me, trading right now at 362 and a quarter. Soybeans, November contract up one and a quarter cents at 831 and a quarter. January up one and a quarter to close at 845 even. In Chicago wheat, the December contract down two cents at 520 and a half. March down a penny right now at 539 and a quarter. And remember, folks, these are as of 10 o'clock Thursday morning. In live cattle, we've got mixed trade. The October down two and a half cents at 113.07 and a half. The December up 22.50 to close at one. Excuse me, trading at 118.20. And feeder cattle, a little bit of strength in feeders today. The September contract up 75 cents at 156.27 and a half. The October up 80 right now at 158.67.50. And in lean hogs, some strength here in the front month contract. October up a dollar 37.50 at 61.37.50. The December up 27 and a half, trading right now at 58. 17 and a half. And of course, a quick look at the dairy market in class three milk this September up two cents at 1616 with October down eight at 1603. Without further ado, folks, I'm going to throw it over to Bruce Gorder and we'll get an update on E15 from Ron Lamberti. 
The battle continues in this country to allow E15 ethanol sales for all vehicles, Model 2001 and newer. At the forefront of the battle is the American Coalition for Ethanol, or ACE. Recently, I talked to Ron Lamberti. He's the senior vice president for ACE, and we talked about E15 here in the U.S., plus expanding ethanol sales in Mexico and in China. Well, there's a regulation that says that in the summer, um, fuel that's sold has to be below a certain reed vapor pressure, or RVP. And uh, when you add ethanol to gas, even though ethanol is lower reed vapor pressure, it actually increases the, the uh, RVP of the blend. Um, E10 has an exception, but the way the law is written, they don't believe that E15 should qualify. It should just be 10, because it says 10 in the law. We believe otherwise. We think they should allow it to anything E10 and above. And we think, you know, we've had, we've had lawyers look at it. We've had a lot of different things taken in, taken in and we think they do, but it hasn't been done. Um, so right now, from June 1st to September 15th, if you're selling E15 and you're not in a, uh, 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 one of the attainment zones, places where they have reformulated gas, you have to sell it as flex fuel. And that causes consumers to look at it and say, I don't know if I can use it, even though like May 30th you can fill up with E15, June 2nd you could come to the same pump and you'd say, oh, I don't know if I can use that stuff. So that's been a hassle for us. The president has indicated that he's supportive of changing that regulation, but nothing's happened. And September 16th you're able to start buying it again, so maybe everybody will say, okay, well, we won't worry about it again until June rolls around. But basically the places that are selling it are selling a lot more of it. We're hoping that means that there's a lot more people who will get upset if it's not there in June of next year um, and who will maybe write to their congressman or, or write to whoever else they think they can, the administration, and tell them, let's get this thing done. Because otherwise it's just a, a pain for a, for a gas station to have a fuel one day, either change the label or take the fuel out another day and then come back. Because even when they come back, the customers who used it before say, Oh, I don't know if I should use this. Um, so it's been, it's been a hindrance. There's a lot of marketers too who've said, "I'm not going to do anything with it until you guys get that whole thing straightened out," because I don't want to take on that that hassle every year. And it's confusing to the consumer, as you mentioned. And if the consumer is confused, that sure doesn't help the marketers. Yeah, I mean, confused equals no sale. If you don't know for sure that you can use it, they just won't use it. Nobody's, you know, in most people's cases, their car is either the the most expensive or second most expensive thing they own and people are very very conservative with what they put into a car so if they're not sure they won't do it and we've seen that we've seen that in people even with the way we market E15 if they see E15 and they don't know that it can be used by cars as a replacement for just any other unleaded gasoline they're kinda hesitant to use that if they think it's a flex fuel when we call it what it is which was unleaded gas with 15 percent ethanol then people buy probably four or five times as much volume at a station so you know you don't yeah you want to make it as simple as possible for people you want them to know they can use it you want them to know it's safe and when they do they try it it works fine and they keep buying it so is the use of E15 even year-round is it, is it expanding in this country oh yeah it's, it's, it's expanding dramatically now there are only right now 14 or 1500 stations in the country which is tiny percentage it's about one percent of the stations that are selling it but they're all selling three or four or five times as much. I know in Minnesota, I think they had a, a six-fold increase in E85 or E15 sales 2018 so far over 2017. 
And that, that's, I mean, sixfold sounds like a big number. It's because they have small numbers to start out with. But I think we're probably, you know, looking at, you know, instead of 17 million gallons, I think they're going to be close to 70 million this year. So, you know, it's been, it's, it's growing fast and people as they, as we learn how to market it properly, you know, to make sure that it's called unleaded um, or regular um, E15, then consumers buy a lot more of it. And it's cheaper. It's, it costs right now, most places, it's a nickel cheaper than the cheapest price that everybody else sees on the street. And that always gets a lot of people's attention. So, you know, I think we could see it increase really dramatically, really quickly. Um, but I think people are always careful when they buy fuel because they just want to make sure that it's it's something that they know they can use. So, um, the, the, you know, the other thing is making sure that retailers, people who own stations understand there really isn't a cost to adding it. They don't have to have a new tank. They don't have to have new pumps. They can use it in their pumps and tanks that they use right now. And, you know, as long as they know that, then... I think we've got, you know, we, we seem to have a little bit more, um, you know, buy-in from the marketers that maybe they ought to give it a try. I mean, a lot of these guys have been selling a mid-grade, and I don't know anybody who buys mid-grade. I mean, I, I don't know anybody who buys just a mid-grade gasoline. So a lot of them have decided they're going to take out mid-grade, put in E15, or even take out premium and put in E15. And uh, they've all been happy with the results and have kept it in. Let's talk about some of the uh, world markets. Uh, Mexico, for example. I know you've been down in Mexico a few times. What are you doing down there? Um, mostly what I'm doing down there is talking to people who own stations and equipment companies who supply stations with pumps and tanks and lines and talking to them about how ethanol got into the U.S. market, which you know, back when I was a kid, um, we were putting in splash blending racks around the country where basically somebody would go to the terminal and get some fuel and then they'd come over to the splash blending rack where we had ethanol and they'd top it off and just blend it in with the gas and then take it to a station which is something they could do in Mexico right now too um, they've got good rail service into Mexico um, uh, the highways are kind of hit and miss because there's there's crime and you know people trying to control different parts of highways the pipeline system is a mess there there's people that just tap it they, I mean they were talking about 20 taps a day or something like that where people just you know kind of like when you try to get water for your ice maker in your house and you put one of those little spigots on it doing that with the oil pipelines down in Mexico so it's it's a wild situation however in most places if you went into a station in Mexico you wouldn't know it was that much different from anything in the US they've got the same pumps same tanks same hoses nozzles and they can handle 10% ethanol I mean it's everything can handle 10% ethanol it's just a matter of talking to them about the logistics of getting it there and making sure they understand the math because ethanol is way, way less expensive than, uh, than gas is right now, especially in Mexico. And so, like, I mean, right now we're even seeing some of the bigger companies. You know, Pemex used to be the national, it is still the national oil company, but they used to be the only supplier that anybody had in Mexico. All, all, everybody was a Pemex station. And they decided when you got fuel and what fuel you had and how much it cost and how much you sold it for. And now that's starting to soften up. But my understanding is Pemex is even looking at buying ethanol now because they can make more money and, and sell fuel for less. So it's, uh, it's attractive. Um, if you're going to have a low price, you, you might as well find people who want to buy it because everybody wants a cheaper fuel. So um, Mexico's looking at it. And then you look at you know other countries where they're considering it or they've got... 10% or 15 or 20 or whatever they're looking at in the future and there's a lot of there's a lot of demand in the world 
What about China, the elephant in the room with with any commodity that we're trying to sell with the tariffs going uh, plus and minus? What about China? Well, the tariffs, I mean, there, there's no question the tariffs have been a minus for us so far. I mean, we, our fuel is so inexpensive right now in the world market that I think when the tariffs were half of what they got to now, that was still being, there was still being some sold. The thing that's amazing about China is that, you know, 10 years ago there were, I think, 60 million vehicles in, uh, in the nation. Um, you know, that motor vehicles that ran on gas. And then, um, you know, they started buying more passenger vehicles. And I think as of last year, they had 365 million passenger vehicles. That compares to, we had 225 million 10 years ago, and we have 265 million now. So they've blown way past us. Now, most of their vehicles are, you know, basically motorcycles with shells on them, but they still use gas. And pollution, if you've seen anything about China, you know that pollution is a big problem. So the more we can get ethanol to them, the, the, the quicker we can get ethanol to them, the better it'll be for their air quality. Um, but they're, I mean, they're flat, flat out just going to need a lot of fuel. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a country that's going to need a lot of fuel, and we can sure supply them. We'd sure like to have a better chance to, to supply more of the U.S. market because anytime you ship something, you take some of the profit out of it. But, um, you know, China is definitely going to be important. I haven't been to China yet. Um, I got a feeling there's going to be there's going to be a time when I get to go there too. Comments there from Ron Lamberti. He is the senior vice president for the American Coalition for Ethanol. And on Ag News Daily, I'm Bruce Gorder. Thank you, Bruce, for that update. It's exciting to hear about international markets that could provide an outlet for some of the stuff that we are producing here in this country. Folks, stay tuned. We'll continue to watch these markets. As I mentioned, Delaney will be back tomorrow. If you want to hear about her trip to Ireland, be sure to tune in. I'm sure she'll have lots of insights, perhaps some fun stories. And if you want to ask her a question, you can do it on our Facebook and Twitter pages at agnewsdaily.com. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to...